On today's podcast, we have the Grand Poobah from the First Church of Cannabis located right here in Indianapolis, Indiana, Bill Levin. Bill, what's up, brother? Hi, Jimmy. How are you? How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, so happy to be talking to you. Um, I, I really am interested in talking to you about your church. How did the church get started? And to put it in a religious context, I guess, what was the genesis story of your of your church? Well, let's see. In 2010, I got my minister's license. Okay. Because I was that guy who always ran around saying I love you and hugging people. And, and finally people started saying, hey, you should marry us. So in 2010, I got my minister's license. Um, in 2015, you know, when, when you get your minister's license, every time you pass by a church, you always go, wouldn't it be cool if I had one of those? You know, it's like getting a lottery ticket, you know, it wouldn't be cool if I hit. So I, I, you know, always drove by churches and had that little mental fantasy. And then um, Indiana had this really marvelous thing happen. Our, our state filled with fertilizer in the spring of 2015. Hmm. I mean, there was more fertilizer all over the state. And it was Mike, Spen- Mike Pence who was spreading it. Wow. He was he was spreading fertilizer everywhere. So it was time for love to grow. I decided that this was a time to take all of my religious thoughts and put them down on paper. And I created the Canitarian religion along with the help of God and a few of his natural ingredients. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, we came up with the Deity Dozen which is the backbone to the Canitarian religion. And then we uh, went off and formalized our church by filing the forms that the state requires churches to do. Okay. So I spent, you know, 1995 and uh, I filed document. I then got the acceptance, oddly enough, in a very timely manner to the fertilizer. For some reason, all that fertilizer let the love of Canitarians grow, and it grew worldwide. Uh, We were covered and written about in 23 different languages. I, I mean, we had to hire people to answer emails. We had to hire people to set up appointments. I was doing three to five interviews a day for about... 10 weeks straight. We ended up gaming about $62.7 million worth of media coverage. Okay. So, boom, we became a thing. We became viral. We became a thing. When I started the church, I never expected anybody outside of Indianapolis to even know about it. Okay? I just figured, you know, we'll do this and see how it flies. I never expected international attention. And, and as it stands right now, the the First Church of Cannabis is included as a recognized religion, along with First Amendment protection, a federal tax exemption, and is registered like any other, correct? Correct. Yeah, and one of the things that you've actually uh, sued the state of Indiana over and the city of Indianapolis um, is an appeal to use marijuana as a religious sacrament. Uh, where does that appeal stand right now? We lost. 
You lost. We lost the appeal. Yes. What was the argument in in saying I that you lost? Don't know. We lost. Mm. We, I, we, it was a win lose. We won the fact that the Canitarian is an accepted religion in North America. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a big win. They do not deny our religion. Okay. Okay. So our religion is corporately, socially, and culturally accepted by all. Okay. Yet we still cannot bank. We cannot bank because we have the word cannabis in our title. Okay. We've been thrown out of seven financial institutions. Has there ever been a discussion to launch a church in a state that is more liberal and understanding of the use of cannabis? There are churches in other states. Uh, they are not Canitarian churches. Okay. They are... Uh, you know, whatever kind of church they say they are. There's one in Florida, Georgia, uh, Puerto Rico, uh, California, uh, Colorado. Um, there's all these people who have churches, and they all do their own thing. Canitarian is a standalone religion that has nothing to do with the old magic books. We don't use any Bibles, any Korans. We don't use any of the old magic books. So what would you say the mission of your church is? To celebrate love in life's great adventure. And having to do with that is your um, Deity Dozen, yes? Yeah, well, the Deity Dozen is a suggested guideline on how to run your life. Okay, mm-hmm. it's not you know the tense. We're not you know we're not commanding you. We're not demanding you. We're not guilting you. We're we're throwing forth suggestions that you know if you want to lead a better life here you go follow these guidelines and you know take 10 minutes every day just to contemplate life in a quiet space because every day we get up and we run out and we go do our jobs and we're we need to get up smile first thing first thing first thing is smile Mm -hmm. say I love you to who's ever near you and then take 10 minutes for yourself Contemplate what your day is going to be like. Contemplate what your life goal is. Contemplate on how to maintain personal happiness. This is very important. People are caught up right now with the internet and the the civil war we're having. You got to take care of your own mental health first. You have to be kind to yourself. If you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of others. I digital detox. I got so angry at the internet, I got offline for two weeks. I didn't answer emails. I didn't answer calls. I didn't do anything. If you telephone called me, I answered you. So people need to get out of the digital environment because it's nothing more than the great Cold Wars. Well, and, I, and I've learned with fighting people, especially when it comes to political issues, there's nothing you can say to alter their mind. And... <sighs> Neither of you have the power to really alter anything in that realm, usually. And if it makes you angry, and if it makes you upset, and if you get up first thing in the morning to go back and finish that fight from a comment last night, you're ODing. Mm -hmm. You're ODing. You gotta get the hell off. Yeah. You gotta you gotta take care of yourself. Take care of your mental. Proper mental health is really needed right now. That's why we need cannabis. It's why we need mushrooms. It's why we need MDA. Mm-hmm. Um, people are depressed. People are filled with anger. Uh, people are filled with anxiety and angst. 
they need to step away from their computer. They need to get their hands in some soil, right? You know, grow food, raise animals, get nature into their daily routine. You know, stop being trolls on the internet. Uh, and, and you but, mentioned here's, that here's here's a, here's a lighthearted good fact about Canterians. Sure, we are the only religion in recorded history to include humor in our doctrine. I, I mean, every religion in in through the run of history that we can find documents on, it has been run by fear, guilt, intimidation. Not one of these religions have had humor written in their doctrine. And I found that out from the religious, the head of the religious department over at Butler. Because that's what he studies is religions. He goes, you know, you guys are really amazing. You got one thing that nobody else has ever had. And I said, what's that? He goes, humor. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, yeah, uh, there's no record of humor in any religion anywhere. Mm. Um, people like to congregate, feel good about themselves, and put forth a positive energy. And our church specializes in love, in positive energy. I mean, that's that's what we do. We are a, every Wednesday night. It, it, it's a love machine in there that generates so much positive energy by everybody in there that it's, you know, it's almost addictive. It is addictive. I mean, if you get into a room full of people, all with a positive, loving goal of being one with each other, you leave that room feeling magnificent. You feel lighter than air. It, 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 it's such an outstanding feeling. And even days when I go in to preach, and, you know, we all have bad days. We all have, you know, days where we just don't feel it. Right. Even right. when I go in to preach, when I'm just feeling like shit, when, I, when I'm done preaching, I feel so much better. And everybody in the room feels so much better. It's a true spiritual uplift uh that happens when you commune with love and i and i have to tell you uh the, one of the reasons that we know each other is because of my dad chooch kennedy who unfortunately um passed away in september of 2019 but i'll tell you his celebration of life that room was filled with love and i i completely i completely understand and agree with your sentiment there yeah yeah i you know yeah. After Chooch's funeral, yes, we all missed him. Yes, we all felt sad. But yes, we all felt uplifted by each other's presence. I you know? completely agree with that. We, we've kind of talked a little bit about what your church uh, intends to do uh, through each service. For further clarification and to eliminate some misconceptions about it, you know, there there are some rituals that uh, certain people f- perform, depending on the doctrine that they believe in. Are, are there any unwritten rules besides the deity dozen rituals or commitments that people have to commit to if they're a follower of that? No, there's there's no secret handshakes. There's no, you know, it, it, being a canitarian is just about being a good, loving friend, neighbor. Uh, it's it's about being a positive, good, friendly neighbor is mm. what it's about. It's it's about being the person that others come to when they need help. It, it, it's 
that's what you know being humanitarian is just a wonderful thing you know you're a positive wonderful uh person that's you know pretty much it now now some of the backlash that you received during your uh, initial services was a, a huge group of police cars congregated <laughs> on the uh on the church there. I, I, our, our city gave us a gift the day we opened. They hired 80 police officers to help park cars. They were great parking attendants. Uh, they had a nice SWAT van down there. Uh, they had one of those little things that fly overhead that take pictures. Mm-hmm. They even mounted a camera permanent mount aiming at our church on the telephone pole. Uh, they were trying to, you know, fire marshals and all this, and they were trying to intimidate us not to open. And it didn't work. Uh, we opened. We had a great time. Uh, the two churches that were protesting us, because yes, what's a church opening without protesters? Mm. Uh, the people who were protesting us, the two different Uh, Christian churches, as we were inside preaching love in life's great adventure, those two clowns outside got into a fist fight about Bible scriptures. Mm. And it's the only thing they didn't get on film. (laughs) Like they're all inside filming me and it's like the one thing you really needed to get was when the police broke up the two ministers. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, we're, we're going to celebrate five years uh, this coming July 1st. We've been out there helping our community, helping the city uh, become a better place. Even in weird and strange times like this, we uh, specialize uh, with helping our friends on the street. We partner up with Hearts and Hand Homeless Outreach, mm-hmm. who was the founder of, you know, the original 15, 20 routes uh, that we do on Saturday night. We visit um, anywhere 12, 15 camps every Saturday night, and we serve a hot meal, and we get them socks and blankets and tarps and tents and candles and batteries and toothbrushes and toothpaste and women needs. and We get them the stuff that they need to try to make their life more comfortable. Mm-hmm. There are so many different stories about why people are on the street and a lot of new middle-class suburban kids are ending up on the streets now, especially in the last few months. Right. I'm seeing kids who are in their mid-20s who obviously were living you know, as a waiter or a waitress and you know, their game a lot left. And now they can't afford their buildings, so they're buying tents, and they're living on the sides of the river. And they're scared to death. They're scared to death. They never thought this would happen. I am, you know, we have our usual homeless out there. Some of them have alcohol problems. Some of them have uh, substance problems. You know, we we don't judge. We, We serve everybody, and we make sure everybody's full. But... The ones who are having mental issues and substance issues understand the street, okay? Mm -hmm. These new kids coming in, and they're coming in by the dozens, and they're coming in daily, are scared, and they don't know what the hell's going on. Now, especially with uh, what's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, there's been some resentment toward 
police forces. What kind of an impact do you think would legalizing cannabis have on law enforcement resources? Because it's it's a stressful job to be a cop. Let's not lie about it. Well, the day they legalize cannabis here in Indiana, I will go down to IMPD and I will give every officer a joint and a dab. They need it. These officers need a right to go out, smoke a couple joints, kick back, do a few blasts of wax, and feel good about themselves, and feel good about home, and feel good about relaxing, rather than getting drunk, to unwind, and being hung over the next day and having a bad attitude. We also need to put social workers with officers. We need to have one officer and one social worker. We don't need two officers in a car. We need an officer and a social worker. Because where do they go? 70% of the time it's a domestic. The officer can stop any violence, but who's truly going to help the situation? A social worker. Mm. That's who. That's somebody who has experience in how to handle these situations. And this is a this is a serious question because a lot of people haven't even dabbled in the use of marijuana or cannabis. If somebody's thinking about using it for the first time, what kind of advice would you have for them? Yeah, I mean, just yeah, enjoy. Worst thing you can do is get too damn high. Your eyes get puffy and all red, and you, you might go through one of those horrible introspective things because you didn't realize you were going to get that high, but it's okay. In a couple of hours, you come down, you know. It's 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 a health su- it, it's no longer a drug. It's a health supplement. I mean, it's doing so much good for so many people. If you don't need it, don't get on it. Don't smoke it. If you want to try it, go ahead and try it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a healthy thing. It's a happy thing. It's a positive thing. It, it, it makes you feel good about yourself, and it makes you feel good about others. And part of the push to legalize it further in states that haven't is that the surrounding states. And the financial success they've seen is prominent. Do you think that will ultimately lead to Indiana making some changes because the surrounding states have lifted restrictions and have seen great success? And t- look, the Republican Party is not going to embrace it because the owner of the Republican Party, James Bopp, okay, yes, James <laughs> Bopp, uh, Citizens United, owns the Republican Party in Indiana on paper. There are 280 subsidiaries off of that. So as long as James Bob's alive, we're going to have issues with cannabis. But isn't Purdue involved with hemp production right now? Yes. They're, they're very highly, and they're looking for the chemicals, and their Mitch is out there looking for patents so he can sell them to Lily. They just, first off, Purdue bought Phoenix, Phoenix University. So now they have Purdue universities across the country. Purdue University is one of the uh, few universities that's been granted hemp exemptions, and they're going to be getting uh, cannabis exemptions too. So they're going to do all their experiments and learn about CBD and learn about all the nutrients in the plant, and they're going to grow specific plants, Mm -hmm. and they're going to make their money off of it, and it's all going to be headed up by Mitchie Daniels. And Bill, you've run for office a couple of times. What goes into starting and running a campaign? Well, first off, you have to be out of your fucking mind. (laughs) 
That's that's a very clear and evident case. <laughs> you have to be completely nuts to decide to run for office. After you've confirmed that you are insane, uh, you then choose uh, one of the parties or you go independent. If you go independent, your job for the next three months is to get signatures. Get signatures so you can be on the paper and be equal with the parties. Or you fight within the parties to get the nomination for that seat. Now, sometimes there's people who are running for that seat and sometimes there are not. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a shameless display of uh, vulgar political masturbation. <laughs> Speaking of politics, I mean, it was something that happened right around the time that your church was founded. Did the founding of your church have anything to do with uh, Religious Freedom Restoration oh, Act? Yeah. yeah, that was all the fertilizer. That was all it, okay. After that was all the fertilizer. I mean, if it wasn't for the RIFRA, I just call it fertilizer because it was full of shit. Right, right. Uh, and for context, what, what is RIFRA for those that don't know? It is uh, religious freedom gives them the right to exclude uh, gays or really anybody they want. Uh, it's exactly opposite of what religious freedom is. It is religious bigotry held into law. And uh, the people who wrote it are shameless morons who will not put five words in there to include the uh, LGBTQ community. And without including them, it is not something for all it is something for select and therefore should be invalid have you ever talked to mike pence about your church oh not about the church i mean i only you know stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with the man once mm. um and that was at uh, a hobnob party you know around the election time we we tried to convince him and we did this through intermediaries to do, you know, Hobnob, the political party they have every year, mm -hmm. Chamber of Commerce throws it. Sure. They have video presentations, and it's pretty much a friar's roast kind of party. Sure. Right? We were trying to get Mike Pence to sit in a pickup truck with me with a shotgun rack behind us uh, and pass a joint back and forth and make some kind of comedy. Uh, and, and we seriously presented this to him, uh, but he denied it because <laughs> we were both running for office at that time. I was running for state uh, uh, state rep, and he was running for governor. Mm. So it was sort of fun. I, I got to stand toe to toe with him and you know shake his hand and see mom, and you know it was a very oh my god moment. <laughs> I only encountered him one time when I was on the sidelines at a Colts game, and it wasn't the game where he left early, but he walked right toward me, shook my hand, we talked for a minute, didn't really get to make, an, make much of an assessment of the man, but, um, you know, he continues to be in power to this day, so. I, I, you know, as a, in a professional wrestler kind of way, I, uh, I, 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 I sent him a note and I said, okay, Mikey, you got the VP seat. I want you to go out and have as much fun as possible. You're a Hoosier. You deserve it. Go out and have fun. Mm -hmm. So he, he, he is going out. He is having fun. Uh, it's just not the same fun the rest of us would have. 
Who do you confide in when you make the decision to run for office? I mean, your family and friends had to have a lot of influence on you running for office. Oh, you know, my girl. <laughs> yeah. The first person she, I bounce anything off is my girl, Rue. She's my fiance. She's my love. She's my perfect mate. We've been together two and a half years, I think, and we haven't had one disagreement or one argument. Um, so, you guys are getting married soon, yeah? Yeah, well, we went back to uh, Halloween because of all the COVID stuff. Is it going to be taking place at the church? Yep. Oh, I love yeah. that. Ha- Halloween, first church of cannabis, yeah, that might be fun. <laughs> and before you kind of made the move toward politics, your experience was as a concert promoter. What can you tell me about that experience? Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. I uh, was an independent concert promoter for 25, 30 years, as well as being the uh, promotions and marketing director uh, for the Karma Record chain for a couple of years. Wow. So... When I had a concert come in, uh, we would call the label and say, we're having your band here. Let's get your product in the stores. So we would end cap 42 stores with Circle Jerks uh, material. We would do an in-store uh, with the Circle Jerks at, the, at one of the store locations. Mm-hmm. And the record company would buy all our radio ads for the concert and the in-store to help push the records. So I never had to buy any advertising for any of my concerts because we got the record labels to co-op the money. Right. Um, I also ran or was associated with running um, a half a dozen street publications, and we would also get record label money in there. Kamikaze, Frenzy um, were a couple of them, you know. So, like, would it be similar to Nouveau, something like that, but on a smaller scale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, A couple of them are just street rags. I mean, something you do on a Xerox machine because you don't want that professional feel. You wanted the feel of the street in uh, the booklets that you handed out. Uh, They get read more. And it was after being a promoter that you launched your, um, your party bus business. Is that right? Well, let's see. I went from concert promoting into Jolt Cola. I broke Jolt Cola for the state. And then Canfield took it over. And yeah, yeah, I got into computers. I I was doing uh, ad layout and typesetting when I got married and had kids and had to stay at home all the time. I had the first uh, virtual reality digital lab in Indiana. In 93, I had the second gigabyte hard drive. It cost $2,500 and weighed about 60 pounds. Canseco had the first one. Yeah, I mean, we went through a digital age making commercials. I made a commercial for Butler and some religious commercials and hairstyle and all sorts of shit. Take me through what it would have been like to be on one of those party buses from start to finish. What was involved with being one of those? <laughs> if you, if you uh, want to. No, no, no. The Broad Ripple Party Bus. Um, it was a fluorescent orange, 23-seat, uh, 22-seat party bus with moo cow covers, a bang-ass bass bin stereo, 
and uh, a television screen, which back then was very rare. And we would get into the bus, and if it was a bachelor party, which is what we specialized in, we would take you to three or four gentlemen's clubs at no cover. You were allowed to eat, drink, and smoke on our bus, because that's what parties do. And uh, we went out. You know, every weekend guaranteed, and sometimes during the week. And it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I I can only imagine, my friend. I can only imagine. <laughs> you you mentioned a lot of your um, your charity work that you're still involved with. Where do you think this love and empathy for other people comes from? I mean, is this something that is naturally ingrained in you, or was it a product of the environment you were raised in? I think it's in all of us. We just don't learn to focus on it. I think we get greedy and selfish. I took a vow of poverty, so relieving myself of the strains of money, you know, money's not a, it doesn't ever cross my mind. I don't have money in my pocket. I don't use money. I don't like money. I don't get paid anything. I do things because they have to be done. Um, And once you, once you restrain yourself from greed, um, you can do anything. I know a lot of really, really rich people. I know some people who have money, you know, multi-millions. Mm-hmm. And every person I know who has that kind of money is mentally unhappy. Right. Genuinely mentally unhappy. And it's because they have spoiled themselves for so long that they lose touch with humanity. There's, it's okay to spend 25 bucks on a bagel with cream cheese at room service. It's not okay. Okay? A $25 bagel with cream cheese for room service is opulent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lose, you know, when you go out of that hotel room and then you walk by the guy playing drums on the street and you look down on him and he's there trying to earn enough to go get a 19 cent bagel. Right. So I, 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 I have a lot more empathy and love for my friends on the street than I do my well-off friends because my well-off friends ignore my street friends. And it sort of disappoints me. And, you know, sure, they'll go out and go, oh, well, I gave, you know, $400 to Susan Coleman. You know, great, great. You just bought Susan and your diamond ring, you fuck. Cause marketing, man. I I, yeah. I saw a documentary on that, and you know when a, when a uh, product associates itself with a charity, they're able to make a lot of money, which is what Susan G. Coleman does. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, you know th- these corporations that have if you're making over sixty thousand dollars a year and working with a charity, you should be fired. Okay, everybody can happily live maybe $74,000 if you're in California. Uh, everybody can live very comfortably, very satisfactory for fifty, sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 a year. Okay, mm-hmm. you don't need 200000 you don't need 300000 you don't need a million five. I mean, the not-for-profit agency of goodwill the executive makes what six hundred and forty nine million a year. 
It seems like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That's vulgar. How much of the the charity work that you do has to do with the work that your parents did? Because wasn't your mom involved with the United Way and your dad was with... Uh, mom Col- worked with uh, Senior Enterprises, Okay. Um, which was an employment agency for people over uh, 60 years of age because back in the 70s and 80s, they didn't hire old people. They still don't, but... You know, so mom helped get them jobs. Dad was on the board of directors at the zoo. And he is the one who taught the zoo how to get sponsorship for the animals. He's the one who built the whole sponsorship program. And is he one of the reasons why you have your own collection of animals? Yeah, oh, dad. Yeah, dad, dad. Dad and I loved animals. Mom, not so much. Why is that? Uh, yeah, mom, mom didn't like anything. <laughs> you, you had a couple of peacocks at one point. Kind of go through I, your uh, the uh, the group of animals. Right now, right now my ranch is. Uh, all right, let's start with you. One uh, one parakeet, one cockatoo. Uh, a dozen chickens, a couple roosters, two ducks, three goats, three cats, uh, four peahens, one peacock, and one little chicken who just got born two weeks ago named uh, Bebop. <laughs> what, what do you think your parents would say about the founding of the church, you running for office, um, all, all the things that you've done to this point in your life? Uh, Mom would give me shit and Dad would say right on. <laughs> you had that balance then, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's always good to have balance. I had balance with both of my parents. You, you got to have that balance. Absolutely. You got to go out and try things that you don't think you can do just to see if you can do them. You know, you, you've done a lot of things. You've been involved with a lot of uh, different things uh, within the city of Indianapolis. What do you still want to do? <laughs> I don't want complete world domination just like everybody else <laughs> um, no we're going to expand the church oh. uh, we're going to grow the church we're looking at other cities other towns other states other countries you know we've been in meetings with it it's just uh, how we work <laughs> gotta get that gotta get the canitarian word out there more and more because it's based on love in life's great adventure and I think we're all having a great adventure and I think we should all anchor with love and it's pretty simple where can people find out more information about your church and get involved tfcoc.org tfcoc.org is our new website okay and tfc.org and uh, facebook slash canitarian can can someone donate to your church? What kind of donations do you take? Uh, we take any kind of donations. Uh, we take donations for our friends on the street, be it tarps, tents, batteries, clothes, uh, clean clothes. Okay, don't bring me your dirty laundry and say give it to the homeless because we'll just throw it out. Uh, clean clothes, food, supplies, uh, cash can be done through our web page. Uh, uh, our membership fees are on the web page. 
you can get a lifetime membership for a thousand dollars. We just got new air conditioning put in, uh, new siding put on, and a new sign outside because the old one was vandalized. And, and for those locally listening, where's your church located? Uh, it's 3400 South Rural, and at 107. Uh, Keystone off of I-65 on the south side of Indy. In the era of COVID-19, your services are available on Facebook? Our services have all been online. We are going to open up for one service, see how it goes, see if everybody social distances and rubs with alcohol and, you know. Yeah. If it works this time, we will continue to do it. If it doesn't work proper, I do not want to risk anybody in our church. But this is a five-year anniversary, so we're going to try. Well, I hope that people that listen to this can have a better understanding uh, of what you do as the Grand Poobah of the First Church of Cannabis. Um, Do you have anything else to add? Yeah, hey, everybody who's listening to this, I love you all. Have an amazing day. Do wonderful things for others. Uh, squeeze weed, scratch glass, and don't do anything I wouldn't do. <laughs> you, you are, you are a national treasure, Bill. We appreciate you, man.